This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the Atlanta Hawks preview podcast. I'm Mike Gallagher, getting ready to talk a team that's made some big changes uh, this season. And with me to do so is KL Chouinard uh, at uh, K-L-C-H-O-U-I-N-A-R-D. Uh, obviously, I will post him on Twitter. What's up, man? Uh, not much. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, are you pumped for media day on Monday? Or <laughs> I think so. What uh, Did Schroeder change his hair again? I think he's had it pretty much the same for, for three or four years now. He hasn't really changed that much. Yeah, well, he had the, the, the number in the back. Oh, that's the streak. true. Like, he changes his streak a little bit, I feel like. Yeah, he changes the back and the sides a little bit. Yeah, That's but true. yeah, he he definitely has the. the I think he's back through. to the to, to the standard now. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna talk obviously a lot about him. A lot of people are curious to see. He's a very fun player. Uh, can be frustrating at times, of course. Um, so actually, let's get to the most recent news with the Hawks, and it was kind of a biggie. Uh, we hate to see offseason injuries, especially before camp. It's not quite Chris Middleton bad, but uh, Paul Millsap had a little bit of a, a knee procedure. Um, to his right knee, which he's actually been pretty clear. But back in his jazz days and stuff like that, um, just to kind of go through some injuries that I had jotted down, he had a right knee contusion in 2014. These are the, he had a very minor one earlier this season, but he didn't this time. Uh, he had right knee inflammation in 2013, a bruised left knee in 2009, soreness in both knees in 2009, uh, soreness in 2008 in his left knee, a left PCL sprain in 2008. So he's been pretty clear. So since about 2009. But these guys are getting a little bit older. So do you think it'll affect him in the season? Do you think that, uh, are you any, is there any concern about his knee? It, again, it's just a, a minor non-invasive procedure. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's uh, an injury that's, you know, too, too severe. But it's, it's obviously concerning, especially because it's Millsap. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. You know, he's really the rock of the team. And, and with... Uh, with Teague and Horford gone, you know, he's sort of supposed to be the rock of consistency and continuity that carries over what they were doing from last season into this season. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit worrisome because of age and maybe because of his size. You know, he's a player that relies on his athleticism because, uh, you know, because he's not seven feet tall, a power forward. So, you know, he, he, he needs to, to be healthy to, to play well, I think. And, you know, to his credit, he's been super durable and super in shape. Uh, he would have played all 82 games last season except for uh, a death in his family for one game. So, um, you know, it's, it's really early and hard to say, and it's definitely something to watch in the preseason. Yeah, you mentioned his durability. I mean, he's hit 80, 80 games quite regularly. So, I mean, his worst was... Uh, 64, and since he's been with the Hawks, he's been 73 or more. So he hasn't missed more than 10 games. Um, and again, he's only missed more than 10 games once, uh, and it wasn't even that much at that 64. So, and actually, that was that was a that was a lockout year. So, excuse me, he only missed two games there. So, yeah, he's <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's super durable right there. Um, so you mentioned the Baysmore. Um, I'm sorry, I meant to say you mentioned the Horford and Teague 
say, how, how is that going to work for Millsap? Um, obviously, Dwight's coming in, and you could kind of, I think Dwight having a down year, we'll talk about him. Uh, they were kind of even in usage, and then Teague going down, and Schroeder's a high usage player. Do you kind of see Millsap having more shots or anything running more through him? He had a career-high 3.3 dimes last year. Could he improve on that at age 31 now? Uh, I, I do think that they'll count on him a lot as a playmaker um, because they're they're losing some playmaking in Horford. Um, so they'll they'll need that secondary playmaking. And they've looked to him for that for a while, but uh, you know, they've also looked to that for from Horford. So in you know, in terms of sort of big man playmaking, I think they're gonna count on him more than ever. Um, I think one you know, one of the big concerns with Teague and Horford going is the spacing. Um, that were those two players were two of their best shooters last season. So it's gonna be interesting to see how Millsap functions if there's less space for him to operate near the basket. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the Teague catch-and-shoot thing is one of my, my favorite stats. He had a 73 effective field goal percentage, but those shots only accounted for 12% of his total. And you had mentioned um, when I tweeted that out that Teague was just so money when he, when he got to spot up. So, yeah, I think they're going to miss something. So kind of a, a little tangent off that. Do you see someone else replacing that little 12% thing on Teague? Um, maybe some guy is improving his three-pointers more or something along those lines. I mean, Corver kind of had a down year last year, too. So do, do you think that him or Bazemore, who's not the greatest shooter, or anyone else could, maybe, maybe even Millsap, who kind of had a down year from three last year after 36% uh, in the previous two, he was down to 32. So do you think, do you think someone fills the void from three? But Buddy loves his threes. It's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think with the Teague thing, you know, he was so good on the catch and shoot threes. And at the same time, I think, you know, it was a little bit frustrating to the team that, he didn't function necessarily with the without the ball as often or as well as they would have liked. I mean, I think he, they wanted him to sort of give up the ball, you know, make his cuts through the offense and come back to the ball again. And, you know, when he did it, he was really great at it, but it didn't happen maybe as much as they would have liked. Yeah, they definitely um, tried to do a, a curious kind of a thing. Sorry, I cut you off there. You no, know, that's okay. And so, I, you know, I think maybe they'll look – for a little bit of that with with uh, with Schroeder now too, as he matures, they're gonna you know try to expand his role, um, and you know he's very good on the ball, but that's probably something that he could get better at and you know do more often. Um, so I, I think they'll they'll want to see that from him because he's a much better shooter when he sets his feet too. Like it's a very drastic distinction between how well he shoots when he's you know taking shots off the dribble versus how well he shoots when he you know gets the ball back and has his feet set and shoots that way. Yeah, I think he doesn't really gather himself very well. He's just very quick with everything. I mean, he tries to you know kind of take shots before they're available, make passes before they're available. So let's kind of get to Schroeder here really fast. Uh, just looking at his starts last year, he only played 29 minutes as a starting guard. Those six games, uh, he averaged 14 points, five and a half dimes, uh, close to a steal, and four uh, four rebounds. Uh, only 39% from the field with 1.5 threes. Uh, and then it's also worth mentioning, uh, Buttonholzer did roll with those that Schroeder-Teague lineup uh, in 39 different games. So that was something that they're going to have to figure out as well. Not a huge thing, obviously. So w- what are your expectations for his minutes? Do you see him kind of improving on those kind of starting guard numbers that I had mentioned? Or anything else you think he may add? Like you said, the, is he going to integrate the, that catch-and-shoot kind of thing Teague did? Or anything along those lines? Um... 
I mean, I think they'll they'll look for him to to integrate the catch and shoot thing. Um, you know, just sort of you know going through with with a couple of the other guards there. You know, I you asked me earlier about Corver and and he really did struggle last season. But I think if you look at his his season as a total body of work last season, he got better as the season went on. He really sort of struggled in the first few months coming back from injury. And then, uh, you know, by the time he got to the all-star break, he was looking pretty good. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that going into this season, I, I really expect more of the latter than the former. You know, after, after the all-star break, he had the best plus-minus in the Eastern Conference and third in the NBA behind Steph Curry and Draymond Green. So, you know, he, he was really carrying the load for the Hawks um, in the second half of the season and, and playing well. And, you know, with a full, he's, he's one of those people that just like really loves uh, routine and order and preparation. Oh yeah. And being sort of systematic about going about things. So he, he was kind of, you know, unhappy with having a summer that was so devoted to, to rehab instead of training. And, you know, I think with, with this being a off season, I, it's, I think he's going to have a better season, you know, as he, you know, goes into his late thirties than he did last season, which probably isn't the norm, but I think just based on his health, I, I sort of expect it. And of course, I think a big thing for the Hawks is going to be, you know, does Tim Hardaway play in a Corver like way? I mean, I think that's one of the things they were counting on last season and, and actually like Corver Hardaway played a lot better in the second half of the season than he did in the first half. He too had like a wrist injury, and so he didn't get to do much last summer. Uh, at the beginning of the season, he was just sort of you know getting back in shape and you know doing some D league stints, and then by the second half of the season, he played better. But there's still a long ways for him to go too, especially in terms of three point shooting. Um, so I've gotten way too far afield from your question. But, <laughs> it's uh, it's good stuff, man. Um, but you know, I I think. A lot of the season is going to ride on those two because the players around them aren't necessarily as good as shooters as they were last season, and so they're going to need a lot of shooting from both Hardaway and Korver. So I want to skip around here. Uh, I'll get to baseball in a second, but um, just talking about depth and getting into Hardaway, one thing that was kind of baffling to me, and when I saw them draft Tareen Prince and DeAndre Bembry, I'm like, uh oh, Bazemore going somewhere, <laughs> and it turns out they brought him back. So. Do you see either of those guys getting run? I mean, they're both somewhat NBA-ready. Uh, I see Bembry as more of an offensive guy, where Prince is more of a defensive guy, but Bembry doesn't have the three. Prince does. So same position, similar body types, uh, just very different playing styles. So do you see one of those two kind of fitting better off the bat, or do you think they're just kind of there for emergency if Baysmore or Corver or even Hardaway uh, are missing time? Um, you know, I do think that that their opportunities in this season would probably come as a function of of injury versus anything necessarily that's planned. Um, because they do they do have yeah, then that happens, right? Uh, they do have a lot of depth on the wing this season, and it's you know it's funny when you look at the moves they made in the off season that you, know, you sort of have to take them in the context of sequence. You know, they yeah. they drafted Prince and Bembry before they knew whether or not they would get Bazemore back. And so, you know, it almost felt like a little bit of a hedge just in case. Um, you know, they, they went out and signed Howard before they ultimately knew whether or not they could get Horford to come back. And, you know, it was, you know, kind of, well, we can get this player, 
um, you know, and we think he can be good, but you know, we're we're also kind of safeguarding just in case. So I think Prince and Bembry are here more, not necessarily for this season, but for beyond. And I think that the Hawks are kind of looking to the fact that it's really hard to get quality wing depth and free agency without paying a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we found you know that the, the center market is a little center market's a little bit deep, and the the point guard market is is a little bit deep. But when you look at trying to get a wing in free agency, there really are no bargains, at least not this summer. And so I think they're realizing that you know if they're going to have good wings. Uh, you know, a year from now, two years, three years from now, they probably uh, need to get it through the draft. I think if one of those two plays this season, um, I think it would be Prince. Uh, I think they both have a long way to go in terms of developing a shot, but uh, Prince has the potential to be a really good defensive player. You know, he's got a lot more size than Bembry does. Um, And so, you know, if they're looking... If there's ever a time this season where there's a chance for him to audition as a as a defensive stopper, um, you know I think he could kind of wiggle his way into the rotation and, and and make it so that the coach has to play him if he does well doing that. And one thing I just wanted to mention that I thought was interesting with the whole was the whole getting Dwight Howard as like insurance kind of a thing. That when you were talking about that, I was thinking about like when the Suns two years ago when they picked up Tyson Chandler to kind of set themselves up for LaMarcus and it kind of backfired. So it sounds kind of like similar, but a little bit reversed because it was losing a player and not gaining a player. Um, so I just kind of want to throw that out there. All right. So let's get to Kent Bazemore again, got paid. Um, got no more Teague. As we mentioned here, a lot of, a lot of offense running through Horford. So do you, and I've seen Bazemore go off. I mean, he was one of my favorite players ever at summer league. Um, uh, a few years ago, back when he was at the Warriors, he was really busy with the Lakers late in the season. But he wasn't really too, too aggressive as far as creating his own shot and things along that nature. So do you, th- do, you do you see him maybe growing into more of a ball handler or anything along those lines to add to more scoring and a lot of transition work? Uh, I think so. Um, you know, at, at his exit interview before the summer... Uh, you know, he said that you know one of the things that he wanted to work on. His main goal was was to get better as a ball handler, to be able to make pick and roll plays and things like that. Um, but I don't think he's necessarily going to be used as the backup point guard. Um, you know, the Hawks signed Jarrett Jack, uh, and it was reported this week that Jack isn't really going to be a hundred percent participant in a hundred percent full participant in training camp. So, you know, the backup point guard position is kind of open, but I don't think that's going to go to Bazemore, even if from time to time he's used as a defender of point guards. I think it'll go to eventually maybe to Malcolm Delaney, who the Hawks signed in the off season. He's, he's an older player. He played at Virginia tech, but then he spent uh, five years in Europe, uh, you know, getting better, and for the last few years, you know, he's he's been playing at the top levels, and you know, he's done very, very well. Um, he's a player who can create his own shot. He's, you know, obviously he's not uh, Damian Lillard or something like that, but you know, he's he's that type of player where you know he's very good at shooting off the dribble. You know, where where Teague and Schroeder maybe weren't haven't been that great at that over the years. Uh, you know, last couple of years, I think Delaney can, you know, make a move off the dribble and find his own shot. You know, the, the three-point shot's going to be a little bit longer in the NBA, but I don't think he'll have that much problem adjusting. He's a, 
he's a pretty strong shooter, and he's also very, very good at uh, you know driving to the rim and creating contact for free throws. So he's been one of the Euro League's top uh, free throw creators for the last couple of seasons. So I think that's something that they can look for in the backup guard position. He's not the biggest player. Uh, he's he's pretty scrappy on defense and moves his feet and gets in front of people, but he's not. He doesn't have uh, you know disruptive length. He's probably only six foot two or six foot three, but uh, you know I think that listed at six three. Listed as six three, right? Yeah. <laughs> Listed, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, I think when the Hawks are looking for shooting, if they, if they get to the point where they have to, you know, find some lineups that have extra shooting in them, I I think you know, one big candidate for that is going to be Delaney. Nice, good to know. And I, I was kind of low on him, didn't know much about him, but I love hearing high free throw rate guys. It's like the the way to my heart. That and good three point shooting. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> That's yeah, interesting because I was I was trying to see who's going to help if Jack's not ready. It's good to know Delaney can kind of step in and create because there's really uh, I wouldn't call Tim Hardaway Jr. much of a ball handler um, for that second unit. So that, that's a <laughs> sounds like the answer there. Um, so speaking of kind of ball handling, the Hawks were eighth in pace last year. They tend to be in the, the upper half in in the budding holzer era, but. I mean, losing Teague, Horford, who runs the floor pretty well, do you see them slowing down a little bit, maybe falling out of the top 10 or 15 or even 20? I'm not sure. And Dwight Howard, too, who could slow people down as well, although they've played, he's played fast before, so that's not necessarily a positive or negative. So where do you see their pace kind of falling this season? Yeah, pace is tricky um, because defense is factoring into that, too, and I, I think sometimes they're, they're pretty good at slowing their opponents down. Uh, you know, last season they used a lot of traps and things like that that I think slowed their opponents down. They might not do as much of that this season with Howard instead of Horford. Um, so I, I see the pace actually going up by quite a bit. I, okay. I think there's a few factors in that. One is that I think defensively they they won't be using the trapping that kind of eats up the, the play clock in the same way that it might have. And I think offensively, um, I think they have some really great fast break players uh, who who can do a lot of things in transition, and they haven't necessarily done that the past couple of years because the task of getting a defensive rebound has been such a chore. Um, Baysmore and uh, and Hardaway are, are I think are both going to be fantastic transition players this year. Um, you know they they really do things with a lot of explosion. They can get their shots at the rim over people, um, but they really haven't been able to do that the last couple of years because it's kind of been the the four or five man gang rebound technique. And when you do that, there's, there's nobody to give the outlet pass to. So, uh, you know, I think with having Howard in the fold that they'll be a better team in terms of getting the rebound and, you know, having somebody to whom they can give the outlet pass and, and move the ball down the court quickly. And one other aspect I think that they'll use in transition a lot is I think they'll look for those, those quick duck-ins where, you know, if Millsap is the one that gets the rebound, then Howard will do the beeline down the court uh, you know, try to get that quick post up right in front of the rim, uh, and get Howard some of his post up opportunities that way. I think those are going to be their favorite, their favorite post up plays, and I think those will sort of quicken the pace too. Nice, wow, good to know. I thought they were going to go down, so I kind of like kind of like the reasoning behind the rebounding. And then yeah, like I, I feel like Budding Holzer against the teams that play fast, he tries to slow it slow it down as much as he can um, with the trapping and stuff. So uh, cool. Uh, okay, so one player that um, I talk about pretty much any chance I get when we talk Hawks is Eddie Tavares. Uh, so is he, I mean, Tiago Splitter going to be ready for camp. Uh, obviously, Dwight's had a lot of back issues getting up there in age. 
Um, his durability's gone down. So this seven foot nine wingspan monster, one of the, my favorite shot blockers uh, in summer league. Do, is there any path for him to get minutes? And then is he still? I thought he looked better in summer league. Do Do you see him kind of getting minutes, even somewhat consistent? Let's say if Tiago goes down, is Eddie the guy that would step into a role for minutes in the teens or something like that? Right. I you know I think it you know he still might be. You know, a year away still, not necessarily because he's not ready as a player. Um, I think he's probably a lot more ready than he was a season ago. Mm. But just because of the depth issues, um, they're going to have splitter back. It was reported this week by Chris Viblamore of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that splitter uh, should be a full participant in camp. And so with splitter and with Humphreys in the fold, because they re-signed Chris Humphreys, you know, those are probably players that are going to play in front of Tavares. Um, you know, is Humphreys going to play power forward or center? That's hard to tell. Uh, you know, Mike Scott is there as a power forward too. So, you know, they've already got a little bit of log jam at the, at the bench front court positions. And so it's going to be tricky for Tavares to get minutes uh, unless maybe there's an injury. At the same time, you know, I, I think he's probably a lot more ready you know, you watch him in summer league and he looked pretty good. I'm not sure he's ever going to be one of those players that makes the game look great. It always seemed like when he was in the game last year, you know, that that the Hawks were, you know, reasonably effective, but the game itself, you know, got a little bit dicier because, you know, other teams would just not go near the rim at all. And, you know, the Hawks didn't quite have their usual spacing, um, one thing I noticed about Tavares is that the Hawks were never particularly good at getting the ball to him. You know, he's seven foot three. He's playing above the rim, and you know, you want to be able to get him the ball hot, get him the ball above the rim. And you know, there seemed like there were always a lot of passes at his waist, at his knees, and you know, he struggles with those. Um, I think having Howard in the fold and maybe having Schroeder as the point guard uh, will both be good for Tavares because. You know his teammates will get used to throwing lob passes to Howard, and if they get used to throwing them to Howard, they'll be ready to do the same thing when he plays. Nice. It sounds uh, similar to what Willie Cauley Stein went through for the Kings. Just uh, this didn't really have any kind of rhythm on offense. You, I think even Tavares is, is more so, um, with not not as much of uh, college experience in their Calipari and a good coach there. Um, so one question that I just wanted to ask here. Um, is do you see anyone kind of taking a, a big leap this season? Uh, just kind of like a mini breakout, whether it's Schroeder or Raysmore, uh, or even a resurgence from Howard. We can even count that. Is there anyone that you think that you like maybe more than other people like? Um, you know, I just think going back to, to where we were before, I, I think that this really is the year for Hardaway. Um, you know, if you look at the track record of the Hawks with their wings, you know they've they've always kind of had them in a fold in the fold for a year before they really had their breakout year. Uh, and so, you know, last season was his was his first year with the Hawks. You know, it started off slowly as he sort of came back from injury and got used to things and and got used to the Hawks system. And I think now, uh, you know, with a full season in the fold, with a full summer to train. Um, I really think it's sort of his his turn to to get out there and do it. Uh, if if I were to look for any one hawk to have a big jump in production this season, it would be him. Wow, I didn't see that. that's that's probably the biggest surprise I've heard on on all these podcasts. Um, 
But yeah, man, he's looked good at times. So I, I can't obviously disagree. And you know, you, you you're you're a Hawks guy, man. That's, that's your team. So well, yeah, uh, and it, you know, it, it, it's it you know the Hawks and their wings. You know, they yeah. they try to find some some guys that can fit and do some things. You know, and they did it with. Uh, Damari Carroll, and you know, it took him a year to get used to it. Yeah, and for Bazemore, he had a pretty good first year, but he really didn't get things flying until the second year. And you know, they're trying to get some other wings like Justin Holiday, and and it didn't work out. So you know, maybe it doesn't work out for Tim Hardaway Jr. But I mean, I think if he is going to make a name for himself here with the Hawks, it's it's going to be this season or, or maybe never. Yeah, Holiday looked like he was coming around a little bit. By the way, he's um. Only behind Courtney Lee on the Knicks. He's one of my favorite players to watch. He's a little bit of a tangent. All right, man. So uh, thanks so much. This is great. Uh, a lot of a lot of good information. Loved hearing uh, the Hardaway, and uh, I'm a little disappointed that Eddie Tavares is a little bit further behind than I thought. Um, but yeah, great to hear with the Schroeder and the Playtos, man. That was awesome. Thanks so much, man. Sure. You're All welcome. Right. Thanks for having me on. All right. Enjoy the season. Thank you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.